Hey, Dean. Hello, Marcus. <laughs> Hello. Hey, so you were, we were just talking about uh, Stanley Jordan's low voice in one of my videos, like low level. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just that I, I discovered in Zoom, you know, you learn more about Zoom every time you use it. And I've, I use it a lot for classes. So I'm always looking for ways to improve the experience. Yeah. And when Stanley Jordan was, was on one of your podcasts, he had a lot of cool stuff to say, but his microphone was really, really, really quiet. And I discovered later on that you can record the audio for all of your participants individually. Yes. Mm -hmm. that you can you could do a little bit of post mixing after that. Yes. yes, I, don't, yes. I don't know that it would have saved that one because it was you had to know about it in advance. And yet, you know, he, he was awfully quiet. I don't know if you boosted it all the way to the top. You might have heard the fan on his MacBook. Yeah, I, I can't remember if I actually fixed it, but I, I mean, I, if I fixed the video, but I did fix the audio. So in the, okay. in the podcast, well, the the audio file I have is fine. But yeah, there you go. Like it's 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 all an experiment. This whole um, this whole period of our lives, um, the past, I don't know, eighteen months or no, not not quite eighteen months, but about uh, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, 2020 was more or less a wash. 21 is kind of a roller coaster up and down, but yeah, it's it. Yeah, I agree. Experience is a very nice and and a very nice way of putting it. <laughs> Better than it deserves. Yeah. Yeah, Dean. So um, the good thing is that I I have met you in person. Um, I have seen you. Uh, demonstrate your art or one of uh, well i you know i don't know how you would Which call one? it if it's art or craft exactly like you are you are you had a um you, you can tell us you had a potato in your hand I potato <laughs> how do you explain how do you explain any of this to anybody um you know uh, I'm, I'm one of the i'm one of the, without without oh my god where do you start with, with a topic like this to somebody yeah. who's never seen it or is only superficially familiar with it? I carve pumpkins, mm -hmm. I carve potatoes, I carve I carve carrots and radishes and basically basically vegetables, which makes everything that I do ephemeral. <laughs> Nothing lasts except in a photograph. But when I try and explain this to somebody, I'll say, I'm a pumpkin carver, and they'll say, oh, jack-o'-lanterns. And I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> not really. And yeah, when, um, when I was at Three of a Perfect Pear Camp in 2019, I guess was, my, was, was the first time I went. I'm coming back, by the way. Cool. Um, I'll be there in August. Um, but... I was scared to death of, of all kinds of things. And I think maybe the, the thing that I was expected to be nervous, I expected to be nervous about, you know, meeting the hosts, meeting you, working and, and taking workshops and will I measure up or will I humiliate myself? As long as I don't humiliate myself, I think I'm, I'm happy with that. I can, I can live with that. But I had a lot of nervous energy there. So I was like, finding ways to not fall apart during the week and carving a potato. I think I, I did a couple of potatoes that week. Um, I carved one for Henry. <laughs> um, 
how do you, I carve faces into, into ve vegetables. I mean, you know, like the uh, most unpopular. I'm, I'm struggling here, Marcus. The, 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 mo the most unpopular question with people who are being interviewed is why. Because so, you don't understand it, and I love watching you squirm, trying to understand it. You know what? I love I, watching an audience twist in the wind. I've, that, I'm, I'm ready for that answer. Why? Because it makes people twitch. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mm -hmm. unexpected. Um, just in terms of the audience reaction reasons why. Uh, it's unexpected. When people encounter it for the first time, the, the, the pumpkin is looking back at them. It's mm -hmm. not like it has a face. Mm -hmm. It's like it has a face. And it's looking mm -hmm. at, them. and and that's that's un, that's a little unsettling, even though it's mm -hmm. it's it's a, it's a fun kind of unsettling. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the most common questions that I get is, how long do they last? What can you do to make them last? And the answer is, you really can't, um, because with a few exceptions, these are pickled, um, but with a few exceptions, they all rot. And as soon as I tell everybody, well, it's going to rot, they, I can see them not accepting that. They're, they start looking for, for ways to get around it. Have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you, have you sprayed it with something? Have you coated it with Vaseline? Have you done this, that, or the other thing? I'm like, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Yeah, it's going to rot. It's going to rot and it's going to be covered with Vaseline. It's going to be even more gross. <laughs> you know? If I do these things that you're suggesting, it's, it's just, it'll be revolting at some point. Mm -hmm. And I love the reaction that I get from people that, mm -hmm. that, that insistence on rejecting the reality of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I guess that is just a sign of like utter uh, utmost respect for what you do because they sort of like want to uh, preserve your, your artwork somehow. I think it's a, it's really is a big compliment. And I think, I mean, even, oh, I even, as a compliment. even, even like the, the, the stuff that we can see behind you is kind of like, uh, uh, pretty impressive. Right. And, um, and so, but like, well, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have asked you why, because I don't ask why it's just like, I ask, how, I ask, I ask how, I ask how, I ask your reason for being Marcus is to, I ask how. I ask how though. I mean, I never ask. Okay, no, no. Why, or or very, very rarely, very rarely. But I mean, we get we get to the why maybe because um, um, let's. I would really like to know how you got to do what you do and like how this uh, because like I you know I I've seen you play guitar and so like to me you were like the impression you had on me was like this guy is an artist of some sort like. I didn't know exactly what you were doing. And I think it was only on the last night of the camp that I saw you carve the, the potato. So I, I didn't. The, I think that the, the last day of camp was the only yeah, day yeah. that I actually did. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so like, so how, well, tell me a little bit about, well, your life, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, one of the things when I do media, uh, when I do media interviews, which, this this is nice because this is a conversation. This doesn't feel like an interview. Um, and it's when I do media interviews, I, I usually inform the reporter in advance before the camera is rolling 
Don't ask me any open-ended questions. If you ask me an open-ended question, I'm going to babble. Mm -hmm. um, you just asked me like the biggest please, babble okay. question. I please, got. Tell me about please your babble. Life. Please babble. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I was born in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. uh, my family lived in Huntington Beach when I was when I was an infant. That didn't last long. We corrected that. Um, eventually, we made our way to the Hudson Valley fairly quickly. I think I was I think I was five when when my mom and my mom moved my brother and me to um, to Armonk, and we lived with uh, with our grandparents for a couple of years. And then I grew up in the Hudson Valley in Dutchess County, uh, just outside of Poughkeepsie, and. I've always been curious. I've always been the, the guy that if you tell him that can't be done or that shouldn't be done, I might ask, that shouldn't be done, I might ask why. Mm -hmm. But if you tell me that can't be done, I wanna try it. You know, I'm, I'm that guy. Um, I'm also the class clown to the point where it's amusing for a while. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you most of my classes would reach a point where it's like, as soon as they would hear my voice, they'd go, oh, it's Dean, you know? <laughs> um, I was the guy who was kind of not a great student, but I would show up in art class and toss my sketch pad on the pile. We had to, we had to, we had to have a keeper, keep like a running sketch pad for the art teacher. And um, and she would review it each each time we would come into class. We'd we'd bring our sketch pad. She'd see what we did, and she'd make a little red check mark next to each page, just to acknowledge that that it, that it was done. She wasn't grading it or anything like that. But I'd throw my sketch pad onto the pile, and I'd crawl up onto the counter and fall asleep and nap through the entire class, which made my classmates nuts. One woman in particular, she's, she's told me about this recently in the last couple of years. She said, you were the guy who always napped on the counter. And I was busting my ass to, to learn the stuff and to do the things. And then you come, you come sailing in, you toss your, your, your sketch pad over there, you do whatever's required of you, and then you fall asleep next to the record player where I was generally like playing a whole lot of prog music and stuff like that that nobody else in the class really wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. I was that guy, you know? Um, feel free to jump in at any point. And no, 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 no. I'm, I'm listening. I'm, I'm listening. It's. Uh, <laughs> I never know where I'm going for from for one second. Yeah, I, I, I must have said this a couple of times already. Talking with people on this on the podcast is like uh, I don't remember my childhood, and I don't certainly don't remember my teens, hmm. um, which is which is interesting. So like whenever like. You know, I hear a story that somebody tells, like, I get a little glimpse, like a little, little bit of light comes on in my head. And I, okay. I remember, um, you know, I remember things and I just had a little bit of a memory of, um, like never doing my homework. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, never doing it at home actually. So just doing like two minutes, two minutes before class started, I was just, you know, and, and, um, Anyway, like just some memories came back as you as you mentioned. Is that that would have been me? Uh, except I suspect, just knowing the way your brain works, a little bit of the way your brain works, I would think that if you, it's first of all, it surprises me that you would procrastinate before doing your homework. 
Mm -hmm. But if you were waiting until two minutes more before class, I'm going to bet the quality of your work was better than the quality of my work. I would have three three months to do a project for my Spanish class in seventh grade, mm-hmm. and you know the whole the, or the whole marking period, the whole the whole term, and mm-hmm. then on the last day when the thing was 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 due, I'd be like, "Well, I got to slap something together," and then I just grab a bunch of things, and you know, if like at one point I think I had to, there was it was Spanish class too. I had been assigned to make a Spanish flag. Not difficult. What is it? Three stripes of different mm-hmm. color fabric. And all I had mm-hmm. to do was, was sew them together. But, and I had a sewing machine and I had the fabric. I stapled them together. That didn't work. So I glued them together with Elmer's glue and that didn't dry in time. <laughs> and, I, and I pulled when I, when I had to present it to the, to the class and to the teacher, I pulled it out of my, my parka. I had, it, I had it in a pocket in my parka and I hadn't even folded it up. I just pulled out this rag and went... And the whole thing fell apart. <laughs> it's like, I tend to doubt that the quality of your assignments were at that low ebb. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't ever challenged in school. That was like, that's sort of like a sad fact of my, my past. Um, so. Everything just kind of more or less... You, you, yeah, you was, got it and you didn't need to learn it or I didn't yeah I didn't need to learn it I think I was clever enough I was um, I was a good I guess I was a good talker so I I was able to convince people that I so maybe I was able to give the right answers and they didn't really care if I if I did my homework or something I, I really right. don't remember exactly but um, uh, you know the the other side uh, of the coin is that I never really learned anything properly at that right. time. And I, I, I was 20 when I first even realized that there is such a thing as learning. It's, it's really, it's pretty bizarre. I mean, like, uh, I'm only, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm only 48. Right. And, and like the first 20 years of my life, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware that there's such a thing as learning. Right. I, you know, it's like, I, I, I didn't learn in school so much, but this is something that comes up when I, when I teach sculpting classes Um, and people, because I don't have any formal training, people will call me self-taught. Well, you're self-taught so I can be self-taught. And I hear there, there's a, a phenomenon that I've noticed um, for many years that when, when people talk about being self-taught, they proclaim it with, with a certain pride. I am self-taught. Mm-hmm. Which, there's a certain validity to that pride, but at the same time, I reject the idea that anyone is self-taught. I don't think anyone can be self-taught. We don't live in bubbles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if we do live in bubbles, we're not learning anything. And we're, and if it's an in, like a self-enforced bubble, say of privilege, just, you know, you've never had to struggle then you're kind of in self-enforcing your bubble and you're not, but, but at the same time, but, but, but I say that I don't think that's really possible to live in a bubble to that degree where you don't learn from outside influence. And so being self-taught, I don't think exists being informally taught is a widespread 
a widespread condition. I'm informally taught. Everyone that I've ever worked with or met or seen examples of, of what they do in their, in, their chosen, um, in their chosen discipline, whether it's music, visual art, speaking, literature, whatever, we're all, we're all influenced by other examples of things. Yeah. And I think that's important to remember. I, it, I, I, I try to remember it. I don't, I don't think that I'm doing it again. I'm babbling. No, no, no. I, I think it's a very, uh, very good point. Like, uh, also, I think that there are phases, um, certainly in my life, where teachers were, were very important. And I had some really great teachers, I have to mm -hmm. say, looking back, some really good teachers in music, I have to say, like, you know, but uh, music was also the only thing I was uh, really interested in, <laughs> by the way. But, um, uh, but, you know, I think there are sometimes there are phases where it's about, you know, like where you study for yourself, right? So where mm -hmm. it's not that you're self-taught, but where you raise the energy to actually study for yourself, where you yes. study, where you study because you love it. You know, because it's what you what you want to do, and it's not somebody else. It's not your father telling you to practice piano, right? It's uh, it's 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 Dean actually picking up a guitar and figuring out the solo to close to the edge or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you think highly of me, sir. I'd be okay with the solo from Rumble by Link Ray. Yes, <laughs> but you know what I mean. You know, like it's. It's when the when the Jack motivation the Jack the Ripper the solo is just a pick scream. <laughs> nothing to it. You know when the when the motivation is is really coming from from deep inside and there's mm -hmm. and and it's the actual uh, in, interaction with the material that you work with that is in, inspiring and and so so how was that for the greatest feelings in the world too is is being familiar enough with something to be curious and to make the attempt mm -hmm. and kind of screwing around with it a little bit, and, you know, that that's one level of it. And then you die, you dial in a little bit further and, and you make more of an attempt. And then I think what you're describing is the way I experience it anyway, is in any discipline, music or art or anything, when I decide I can feel it almost consciously, I can decide this is going to be where I dig in. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm going to push past the, 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 the membrane of not being able to, mm -hmm. to get onto the other side of that. And just, I've, you know, just to dig in and do it. And those, those moments are some of the best. Mm -hmm. um, they're the most, they're the most in, um, isolated from the outside world. It's where, where I'm dialed in here and I am focused on this, whether it's, you know, guitar or sometimes piano. I don't play piano, but I understand the way the keyboard works and I understand where the notes are and, mm -hmm. and, and, and whatever. So I can, I can kind of move my way through things, mm -hmm. but because it's an, un, it's more of an unfamiliar area of music my a different part of my brain kicks in mm -hmm. it's the same thing with with visual art that if um for for most of my life i considered myself a painter or an illustrator i do two-dimensional stuff um 
you know, ever since I can remember, I was, I've, I've been a two dimensional visual artist. And when I started sculpting, I, I, I knew for years before I actually got my hands into sculpting something that I wanted to get my hands into something, that there would be something tactile about it. I wanted to squish the clay or, you know, whittle and carve the wood or whatever it is. And when I finally did it, all of the things that I thought that I, I, was, I was confident with or that I knew that I was in the driver's seat, that I had a certain, a certain level of control over two-dimensional stuff. And then I started working in three dimensions and I realized, okay, this face right here is not flat. This face has to wrap around and it has to be, you know, there's more to it than just what, I'm, what you're seeing from the front. So they're not shapes of outlines, they're planes and forms and, you know, this goes here and this goes here and this goes here and, it, it exercised a different creative muscle yeah. in my mind. Mm -hmm. And at which point in your career as an artist did you start um, sculpting? Mm, I dabbled with it every now and then, but, but really in earnest about 10 years ago. Um, oh. And <laughs> believe it or not, not with clay. <laughs> my, uh, my, my first real disciplined approach to sculpting was pumpkins. Mm -hmm. I, I, I saw examples of what could be done with a sculptural approach to pumpkins. And, and I, I was curious, I wanted to know how, mm -hmm. you know, your question, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. Why do you do that? Irrelevant to me. I just mm -hmm. wanted to do it. And it was like, I wanted to try it. And the first few attempts were, satisfactory enough that it kept me wanting to do more. That's another thing is that when, when I fail at something or where I don't feel that I've succeeded to the, to the level that I wanted to succeed or that I was hoping to succeed, it doesn't, I don't know how, how, if this is unusual or not, but this is, this is how I think that doesn't diminish my desire to continue. I want to keep doing it. I want to try it again. I want to try it again. I want to get a little bit better. It's like whatever didn't work out that time. Okay. That was a little bit. Eh, okay. How can I do, what can I do to fix that? And then that, that brain, that dialing in muscle in my brain kicks in and goes, okay, this is one of those moments. Let's, let's, let's get this. So the first few that I did were okay enough for me to feel encouraged about it. Um, and it just, it, it, I think it's just ironic that the, the, the silliness of pumpkins, the, the, the whimsy and the, and the ridiculousness of, of carving like a Bernini style face into, <laughs> a, into a squash. And that appeals to my sense of humor as well. Um, mm -hmm. Just the fact that how ridiculous it is, but it kept going. And I think the reason for that, I've thought about this a little bit too over the years. You know, the reason that I that it was easy to keep going was not just because I, of my my obstinance, you know, my stubborn tenacity to get into things. It was also because pumpkins are low responsibility. Since I knew it was going to rot in a couple of days, it didn't matter to me as much whether or not I got it exactly perfectly right. And I've never gotten one 
exactly perfect to what I would like to have it be. There's always a compromise when I look when I look at the the end result of anything here 10, 10 years later. And now I sculpt in clay, and I've I've done I've I've gone back to wood, uh, sculpting in mahogany and basswood and things like that. Um, I I still don't feel like I've reached perfection. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever will. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever want to, because mm-hmm. then it wouldn't be fun anymore. And mm-hmm. I mean, ten years ten years um, is not much for an art for you know for acquiring the, the, the craft even right so it's um it's well, pretty amazing nine ten years goes by like that at this point i i know and what, what i what i mean is like it's 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 amazing like that it took you so long <laughs> anyway just like right <laughs> doing other things I had a, yeah yeah <laughs> you don't have but, time for everything yeah but no what i mean is uh and what i would like to know is so once once you started and you said like okay so it doesn't matter if it's not not perfect i can just do it i can try again and and do this over and over again um do you are you a person who kind of like works constantly like do you like every day or is there like a certain rhythm to how you do things you know, because like for me it's more like i have a long period where i don't do anything and then i have like a like a burst of a few days where i do a lot of work you know, so that's that's how I function there. But because um, just just even just to get to the level to the level that you're at right now uh, with your uh, pumpkin <laughs> carving, right? <laughs> yeah, let's laugh about it a little more. <laughs> you can't say it without without snickering, right? You're like, <laughs> it's fantastic. That's great. <laughs> uh, so, how did you do it? Like, was there sort of like a um, did you become obsessed with it somehow oh, for yeah. a while? Yeah, yeah. I, I still am. Um, there are an increasing number of pumpkin carvers in the world. Um, I think I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate. That's a, good, that's a good sentence, too. <laughs> the, the pumpkin community, there's another phrase. <laughs> there, and there is such a thing. Um, I w- w- okay. Come back to that question. Uh, let, me, let me tell you that my first experience with realizing that I was not in a bubble was I saw a few examples. I tried a few things. I got pretty good. I started putting stuff on social media. I started getting invitations. I started getting work as a result. Um, I mean, really significant work, um, internationally recognized work. But the first time that I ever did it outside of my studio mm-hmm. in public, that wasn't just like a little farmer's market where I'm, you know, he's the guy off in the corner part carving the pumpkin. Um, I was invited to the, the Columbus zoo had, it used to have a, a pumpkin, uh, pumpkin carving contest, the Jack Hanna pumpkin championships or something like that. I don't even remember what the name of it was, but I got invited to it. Um, I showed up and there were a few other people that I'd seen their names. Um, and who I've since gotten to be really good friends with. But when I showed up and I was expecting like, you know, a few people and we're all going to carve pumpkins and what's this all about. And there were 20 or 30 pumpkin carvers. And I realized, Oh my God, I've just landed in the strangest subset of the cultural subset of, of society of, 
these are the pumpkin people. I was like, it was like Todd Browning's freaks. One of us, one of us. And that moment was eye opening to me because I was like, I realized it's like, there is a pumpkin culture. Mm -hmm. uh, I just wanted to throw that in there. That, that mm -hmm. moment was, 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 was equal yes. parts, was equal parts surprising. Mm -hmm and appealing to my sense of the ridiculous. <laughs> yes. Um, what was the question again? Uh, if, you know, like, if you were, if you are still obsessed with carving pumpkins. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's how we got into that, the whole pumpkin. Yeah, thing. like, like, how, how do you, how do you work? Like, do you work every day? Do you? I work like as how, much as I can. Um, the the last 18 months have been odd because I don't have a pattern. Um, I don't have a sleep pattern that that's recognizable. I, I have, um, well, in normal times, normal for Dean anyway, um, I will go back and forth between visual art and musical art. And I kind of use one to hide from the other. It's like when I'm running out of ideas for music, I start sculpting and I go back to pumpkins or I pull out some clay and I'll, I'll do, I'll do um, some collectible figurines and things like that, portraiture and stuff. And then when I start running out of ideas for that or, or pumpkins for a while um, in the early years, I would, um, at the end of the season, when pumpkins were no longer available, okay, I got to do something else. And then I'd go back to music. So I, I would, it was like a pendulum swing back and forth between music and, and visual art. And I would use one to procrastinate the other, which yeah. I would follow the path of least resistance. I'd go, I'd go wherever the, uh, wherever the inspiration had me on a given day. And then when that ran dry, I would go running, screaming to the other, to the other end of the spectrum, just, just to keep busy, just to keep producing things. And keeping my brain running. Um, these days, it's more of it. Does first of all, it doesn't matter anymore to me whether or not pumpkins are available year round because I found that I can I can carve um, other forms of of squash and potatoes are, are a big thing. I don't have any potatoes right here at arm's length to show you. Mm -hmm. um, butternut squashes are a good one. You know the the, the kind yeah. of um, hourglass shaped things, um, sweet potatoes, stuff like that. So th there's always something that I can carve year round if I want to. And this past year I've been keeping as busy as possible with, with music projects. Um, uh, the quarantine sessions, things that we yeah. were doing, um, started off just as an excuse to, to, to stay busy. And then it got, it kind of snowballed and the people who, who've been involved in those on a regular basis, like Bassini, <laughs> um, not just Bassini. I, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of them. Um, the, some of the, the campers in particular, but not limited to the, the three of a perfect pair camp. Anybody I know who's a musician, I'll, I'll put out an open call when I do these things and I'll say, um, uh, you know, I want to record a song, what song do you want to record and who wants to do it? Anybody, and all are welcome. I don't care what your level of, of, of skill is for this thing. Just contribute something and it'll, it'll be included. 
And those those projects have they've kept me busy. They've kept the other people busy. Um, and I think they they were well received enough that once once that we'd done a few of them, that it got to the point where I if I said I want to do this, I didn't have to explain as much to it um, as much of it to, to get new people involved. There would be enough people to say, okay, he's doing another one. Let's do it. Um, I'm babbling. That's okay. <laughs> So with the with the carving, so let me let me just get a little uh, more annoying here because I do want to know how you do it. Okay. Like so, and I don't want you to teach it to me right now, which okay. may it's may probably one way of explaining how to do it, but I want your specific way of doing it. I want to learn about how you do it. Okay. So, like one of the one of the first questions I want to ask here is. Like there is this cliche that uh, some artists kind of like, you know, they have a piece of uh, uh, granite, right? And they see something in it. Like okay. they, you, they, they interact with the material and they have, get a sense Michelangelo of- Michelangelo quote. Yeah, exactly. I, I, yeah. I recognize yeah. the angel within and I carve until he has been released. Yeah, is that, is that also Whatever. true for potatoes and pumpkins? Um, to an extent, uh, the, uh, I've got so many flippant answers for for that one. I want to give you a, I, I want to give you a, as, as dignified an answer as I can to that without without turning to a wisecrack, which is my default setting. You know that, right? Um, I don't think I do. I think I think, and I, the more I I understand about Michelangelo in particular and and Renaissance sculptors. Bernini was my favorite mm -hmm. um, for, for a lot of reasons. But um, I almost think that if that quote is a real quote attributed to Michelangelo, I almost feel like he was being flippant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, you're not going to understand it. I can't make you understand it unless, unless you do it, unless you try it. So here's, here's a pat answer just to satisfy you because you asked the question. Mm -hmm. I yeah. see that I recognize the angel and I, I carve until the angel is released. Mm -hmm. I think there's, there's a, a certain balance that I have anyway, when I, when I have a pumpkin, I have a blank pumpkin um, or yeah, let's, 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 let's restrict this to pumpkins. If mm -hmm. I have a blank pumpkin mm -hmm. and I do, mm -hmm. um, and I look at it and I see the shape of it, is it tall? Mm -hmm. Is it round? Mm -hmm. Is it wide? Mm -hmm. Is it, does it have an, an, an unusual uh, asymmetry to it or something? Is there something strange and, and twisted about it? And I'll look at it for a while and I'll go, what can I do with that? But I'm not recognizing what's, I don't yeah. see a face in there. Mm -hmm. I will say, okay, there's enough material here for me to force a face into it mm -hmm. or to, you know, I can come up with a face uh, I can come up with a face with a, you know, where we just, just by staring at myself in a mirror mm -hmm. and make, make expressions. Um, 
until I find one that looks like it might fit into the material that I've got in front of me. And then I go into it. And then I kind of, I'm, mostly I'm sketching. I'm not following a blueprint. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I start with the basics. I'll, I'll start with the eyebrow and I'll, I'll start to, to move out the orbits of the eyes and to create the, the cheekbones and the, the edges of the nose if it's going to be an anatomical face. Um, if it's going to be a cartoon face, I might not do a nose at all. I might just do eyes and a mouth. Um, and as I'm sketching that out, every stroke of the tool presents a new opportunity. So as I'm mm -hmm. sketching, it continues to evolve. The pumpkin is guiding me as well as I'm directing the pumpkin. Um, I think that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I be, and that's actually what I was sort of expecting you to say. Actually. Well, and, and I, well, I start out with reference material. I'll start out with, you know, staring at my own face in a, in a mirror or I'll have reference photos of somebody. I don't like doing likenesses as a rule because there's, there's too much to compare. You know, it's mm -hmm. like if it's a recognizable famous face, I probably don't want to do it. I have done a lot. Um, I did one last year of, um, of Oliver Hardy mm -hmm. from uh, Laurel and Hardy, and it turned out really well as a likeness. That's unusual for me because I'll start off with a likeness to give me, to, just to give me a starting point. And then as I'm working on it, I find myself looking less and less over at my reference material. I like to have the reference material there. I like to have a mirror there so that I, you know, it's like, okay, now how does the musculature work around the eye here? So I'll get in there and I'll, okay, now I see how that works. This goes over the top. This goes under the bottom. I, and I'm not looking at my reference material for, is it a face? I'm looking at it in terms of what are the shapes doing? What are the forms doing? As I continue to work and I'm looking less and less at the reference material, the the sculpt just kind of takes over mm -hmm. yeah. that part's harder to describe what it's harder to describe what that feels like it's harder to describe what is going on in my mind because a lot of that at, at that point there, there there's a there's the the deliberate intentional part of starting off this is my material. These are the tools that I've got. This is my reference, my starting point reference material. And then there's the deliberate part of trying to block all of that in and get the basics in there. And then as it starts to transition into that area where the pumpkin and me are, me, the pumpkin and I are starting to lead each other and then the pumpkin starts to take over and all that. That's harder to describe in, in, in metrics. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's why it feels magical to a lot of people. Um, it's why it looks magical to somebody who's not doing it. If you're in there and you're in the moment and you are intentionally removing material and shaping material and, 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 and you have a goal that you're, you're going to, that fills in a lot of the blanks that somebody else looking over your shoulder as you're working. And most of what I do when I, especially in October, when it's, when it's Halloween season, it's a performance. I'm not in a bubble here. I'm not in my, I'm not in my studio. I'm out. This is, it's all a public performance. It's like performance art. Um, 
But when somebody's looking over my shoulder, they don't have the benefit of knowing what I'm thinking as I'm doing yeah. things. Mm -hmm. So to them, it looks like it's emerging out of, out of nothing. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll, I'll admit that there's, there's a benefit to me on that. It makes me look more like a wizard, <laughs> but I, that's another thing is like, um, I, I'm uncomfortable being the guy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm un I'm uncomfortable being the one that the others look to, um, and I'm by no means the only one, but but at that level. But when I hear people, I, I get a lot of the same questions, a lot of the same statements. I hear them over my shoulder because I'm busy working and I'm not looking at who's who's behind me. Mm -hmm. But how do you do that? How do you make it last? How, you know, how do you keep yours from rotting? Blah, blah, blah. All the, all those questions. And then I'll, I'll hear occasionally I'll hear somebody say, Oh, I could never do that. I'm not, I don't have that. That guy's really talented. I could never do that. And that's, that's like throwing down a gauntlet to me. That's when I'll put my tool down and I'll actually look up and make eye contact with whoever's speaking and I'll pull them in. I'll mm -hmm. hand them the tool. I will show them how it works. And I'll let them carve on whatever I've been doing. Even if they slice the nose off, it doesn't matter to me. I just want to bring them in and encourage them to try it. Because mm -hmm. I found that most people, if they're encouraged to try something and they do try it, they enjoy it. Yeah. And uh, So the, the magic, you know, the, the magic that you just uh, mentioned, do you, do you still experience it oh yeah there you go yeah mm. i mean just just because i have the benefit of, of of being involved and inter and woven in with the process you know i know what's going on in my head more or less um mm. if i'm having conscious thought um clearly that's easy but you know just observational thought process of what's going on in my head i, I do have the benefit of that but at the same time, a lot of it is semi-conscious. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that does feel like, whoa, you know, I, I love finishing something or getting to a point where I look at it and, and I'm just, look at what I did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, like, I like that. I like surprising myself. Um, there is another phenomenon pattern that I've noticed in my mind as I'm working. When I start a pumpkin and I'm first scraping it off and I'm blocking in the, the basic forms, um, ask me about basic forms in a minute versus details. But when I'm first doing it, there's a, a what I do is meticulous. It takes a long time to do this. And in the first hour or so while I'm working, I'm going, okay, this is the first hour. This is the blocking in part. I've done this a thousand times. I can do this without really thinking about what I'm doing and blah, 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 blah. Okay. And there's a certain question as to whether or not I'm going to reach the level that I'm hoping for. You know, am I going to, am I going to like this or am I going to be merely satisfied with this? That's the first hour or so. And at some points, somewhere following that, I dial in. There will be a moment where I go, okay, now I'm happy with it. I'm not done with it. 
I know that there's a lot more to do with it, but now I know it's going where I want to. And I, that's, that's a moment that I really, really enjoy every time that I do anything sculpting or, or painting or music or anything. It's like, I'm like, oh, I can't get it. I can't get it. I can't get it. It's, you know, I'm still pushing. I'm still pushing. I'm still pushing. I, I think I can get it. I know I can get something good, but it's not, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And then, Oh, I'm there. Mm -hmm. That feels awesome. That's, that's, that's almost better than the final the, the the completion of the work and knowing that it's done that moment uh, it's it's almost like a release yeah that i haven't wasted the last two hours on, on just another one you know i'm i'm thinking about that that part of the process where you where you even as you just demonstrated you don't even have the words to describe how you do it or what happens that uh, once you once you go beyond, what or that's when you get to the point where sort of the magic happens, right? Mm -hmm. So how does it compare to um, for me as a musician? Um, how does it compare with the act of making music or improvising or something like that? Is there is there something there that has sort of like a similar? Um, you know, for me, like I was, I was just thinking, like, how cool would it be if Dean, rather than creating these, I, I'm just going to say, it, okay, like, sure. like more, like the predictable thing, like faces or whatever, like stuff that can be compared to other people's work, probably where where there is like a way that things can be uh, entered in a competition because you can say, okay, this face looks more natural than that or whatever like i don't know how it works but anyway right. what would be so awesome is like if dean arnold would just do abstract art in pumpkins right and i'm sure you could say something about that but that's sort of like where it gets very interesting that's when me. they start to rot and i and i'm no longer carving them and they're starting to sag and dry out and get moldy and everything like that i enjoy that part of it too because i don't know what's happening next and it becomes very yes. abstract yes and can you and impressionist can you, and can you can you do that as you carve? That's the question. Uh, I have. I don't think I've done anything fully abstract. Mm -hmm. I've done something a lot. Almost everything I do has a certain level of of impressionist mm -hmm. impressionism to it. Um, I still want to come back to basic forms versus details. Yes. Yes. I have um, forgot. But um, I don't think I've done anything fully abstract in 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 pumpkins mm -hmm. i've done i've done abstract paintings mm -hmm. some of which i really love i've got a really good one on my uh the, it's hanging in my living room mm -hmm. um and th that that one was actually that was an interesting process when i did that because i prior to that i've always admired abstract i'm, I'm a huge fan of jackson pollock and some of the de Kooning stuff. Um, for um, too many thoughts, too many thoughts. Stay focused. Yeah, I mean, um, but I'd never actually tried it. And there was one period where I hadn't painted in years, and I had a blank canvas, a big blank canvas that was on my easel, which was in my garage. It wasn't even in a place where I would normally. Act, you know, work on anything creatively. And, but I, I left it there 
white canvas on the easel for, I think it was like five or six years before I finally touched it. And I, the reason I left it there was because every time I would pull the car into the garage, my headlights would light up this, this plain blank white canvas taunting me and going, I'm still here and you haven't touched me. So roughly about five years went by and I finally, okay, one day I was motivated. And the rule for, I set up a certain set of ground rules for myself when I started it. I want it to be abstract. I want it to be something that has a lot of big motions in, in rather than doing things like this, which is how I normally would, would have painted in the past in a tempera kind of mode um, or a super real, a super photo realistic sort of, uh, sort of a, approach. I wanted something that had a lot of texture and a, a lot that felt like my hands were in it, similar to what I was talking about um, with what I like about the tactile nature of sculpting. I wanted to do the same thing with a with this painting. And I know because I know myself that as I'm working on it, if I see something that starts to look like something, I'll dial in and I'll start making it look more like that something that is happening in my head. And I didn't want that this time. This time I was like, the, the one rule that I had for myself was if I start to see something representational emerging from the canvas, I would put down my brush, I would rotate the canvas either 45 degrees one way or the other way, 90 degrees one way or the other way, and I would clean my brush, get a more, more a different color. Whatever mm -hmm. I'm working on, stop that. Yeah. And rotate things so that now it's unfamiliar again. And then I'd start working again. And I loved that process. I in, on that canvas, there's probably there's layer after layer after layer of impasto, um, thick paint, textural paint, and I could have stopped at any moment, but I was enjoying the process so much that I wanted to keep the process going. So what would have been a really good abstract painting became another really good abstract painting, which became another really good abstract painting, which became another really good abstract painting until I finally ran out of paint. <laughs> the canvas weighs a lot. It's, it's, it's got a lot of thick paint on it. Um, so that's sort of like an additive additive process, adding the color to the, that's the canvas. Added, well, it was additive. That's a good that's a good observation. But now that I think about it, yes, it was additive. But I also occasionally, if if it started to look representational, and I put my brush down, then I would pick up a palette knife and I'd start scraping stuff off. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or I would take um, at one time at one point I took a belt sander to it. <laughs> Just to see what would happen and then and then continue on with additive so that was kind of a subtractive and additive process for that mm -hmm. one yeah I, the reason the reason why i said that like is that, that is that with the pumpkins you it's it's subtractive right so it's almost entirely yeah almost entirely so so i'm, I'm just i just keep asking you so like what could you could you do a, a pumpkin like an abstract pumpkin like what would happen like how would you approach it would you do it would you even try to do it i don't know that an abstract pump in the purest sense of the word abstract is non-representational of any kind mm -hmm. um 
a pumpkin by its nature already is something. It is a certain shape. Mm -hmm. It has a stem on the top. You can take the stem off, but it's still a pumpkin. It's still recognizable because of the shape and the color. Um, I think it would be more interesting to try a cubist sculpt mm -hmm. on a pumpkin. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still a face, but with different different points in time. The way I understand cubism is that not only is it showing the, the shapes, forms, and outlines of something, but that it's also showing the motion. Like, what was it? Um, nude descending a staircase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you kind of, you know, if, if I think most viewers will look at a, at a painting like that and okay, okay, you told me it was a nude. So now I have to see body parts. Are there, you know, is, is there a hip there or is there the, the corner of a breast there or is there a neck or something like that? And you can force yourself, force is a bad word, you can convince yourself mm -hmm. that you see something, whether it's actually there or not. I think the human brain is hardwired to see what it wants to see. So if you're staring at something long enough and you're told that it's a nude descending a staircase, you can see the staircase, you can see the nude. But what's interesting to me about that particular painting and, and cubism like that is that it's the motion. It's the, it's the, it's the time mm -hmm. that's involved in it. And I think like uh, some of Picasso's paintings, um, and I can't, think of the, I can't think of any names of paintings right now, but you know what I'm talking about. There's so many of them where you can see the, the, the profile and the, the four, the, the 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 forward facing yes. image and the profile and then the three quarter profile and maybe another and maybe the eyes up or maybe the eyes down. I think what it to, to wait the way my brain processes that is is to look at that and say, this is somebody who is blinking and fidgeting and moving around. Yeah. It's not intended to be a, a becoming portrait of someone looking stoic. It's supposed to be looking like somebody this, but it's all put into one into one moment, into one image. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that would be more interesting to me, or at least more achievable for me. Mm -hmm. But you have a way, Marcus, of suggesting things in your mild mannered way that that crawl into my 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 brain and stay there. And I I want I think I will probably want to try it at some point. You know, the, the reason why I'm asking is also that why a face, even, you know, like to me, it's not that obvious. Um, what alternatives are there? What, what other, um, what, like you can. Am I allowed to share my screen if you wanted? To? Uh, sure, just a second. Uh, Go. Okay, let me. Uh, That's not a face. No. And let's see, what else do I have here? Well, that's a face. That's a potato. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I didn't want to go into like a show and tell slideshow here, but it, face, face. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's a face, but mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a science fiction fantasy horror face. Lovecraft. Lovecraft. Uh, 
I'm trying to find if there's anything that isn't a face here. I think the one that I was thinking of was the um, were the hands, though. Let me go back to that one. There we go. Yeah. I mean, it's not abstract by any means. It's it's definitely representational, but it's not a face. And I've done things uh, similar to that where I'm building other. I'll build a display that involves more than just a more than just the face. And let me stop. We don't need to keep looking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I just haven't taken it to the extreme yet. Some some other pumpkin artists have. Um, uh, I have uh, a couple of friends who I who I I adore. Um, Sue and Andy. Um, are two sculptors who have been doing an exhibit at the Bronx Zoo for the last several years. And I hope they do it forever because it's so good. They And they sculpt mostly animals. The zoo likes animals and occasionally they'll do dinosaurs. Um, but they'll sculpt polar bears or baby elephants playing with 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 butterflies or something like that they're not faces they're they're these are full sculptures of of the entire the entire animal mm -hmm. um some of my the the sculptors that i know the the russians uh in particular my friend dima um who lives in saint petersburg generally he he's a classically trained sculptor formally trained <laughs> uh, definitely not self-taught, but uh, but he normally works with ice and sand. He, he likes ephemeral stuff. He doesn't he doesn't like things that last. But he also works in clay. He's been experimenting with ceramics and things. But Dima Dima will try anything, and I don't think I think when he carved his first pumpkin, I think I watched him carve his per first pumpkin. I don't think he'd ever tried it before. We were on a we were on a gig together in Arizona, and for him, it's just another medium doing the. It's the same process as he's just using pumpkins instead of sand or clay or or whatever his normal mediums might be. Um, trying to think if he did anything non-representational though. Sue did an interesting one once. Um, it's just a standard-sized pumpkin that she turned into a bat cave. She she cut the the opening into it scooped out the inside created stalagmites and stalactites on the inside and she had fruit bats hanging from hanging from the roof of this bat cave and they were all carved from um from sweet potatoes it's fun mm -hmm. watching her carve it because she wasn't using a tool she was mostly using her fingernails mm -hmm. she was just scraping at the uh, at the surface with her fingernails and I, I, mm. <laughs> that 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 bothered me i was like oh you're gonna get a hangnail you're, you're gonna get a splinter up under there it's just Arr! i can't i can't watch but her end result was something i hadn't seen before mm -hmm. um, those are things that that i find particularly inspiring is when, is when it's something that not only have i not seen it before i hadn't even thought of it before mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that you know that gives me something that gives me yet even more to chase yes so can you explain to me how the uh, community kind of like works and also um 
I guess there used to be like a sort of uh, like events and uh, shows and uh, uh, competitions and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so how is how is that organized and how does it work and like is there really just bad. is there is there any is there any I mean it's not I'm not is there any um, do people make a living yeah carving pumpkins yeah okay and and where does the where does the money come from. <laughs> <laughs> if I knew, I'd be making a better living. Um, the community is re is still relatively small overall, um, but with certain certain television shows, competition shows like Food Network has Halloween Wars, and in the last couple of years, um, there's a, a newer show called Outrageous Pumpkins. They're both competitions. Um, mm -hmm. Halloween Wars has teams. Uh, that compete against each other to build Halloween themed displays. And I think Halloween Wars, um, Halloween Wars is the teams are comprised of one pumpkin sculptor, one cake artist, and one sugar artist who worked together to, to create a larger display that includes cake, sugar, and pumpkins. And the goal of that competition is to have kind of a seamless integration of all of those elements. Mm -hmm. Outrageous pumpkins, on the other hand, which um, I've competed on Halloween Wars. Um, and I've, I know almost all of the pumpkin carvers who've ever been on Halloween Wars. I think there's only a few who I don't know very well. Mm -hmm. um, Outrageous pumpkins is, I think uh, we've, we did, season a pilot season one and we filmed season two which will air this coming this coming october mm -hmm. um i don't compete on that one i work on the crew for that I'm, I'm behind the camera as as the pumpkin consultant um the 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 production company actually calls me the pumpkin artist in residence and i told him i'm going to get business cards just with that <laughs> dean arnold pumpkin artist in residence turn card productions thank you very much um and those, those are not teams. Those are individual artists competing against other individual artists. And it's only pumpkins and they build things out of pumpkins. They're not just carving a face. They have to create an entire scene with a story made entirely out of pumpkins. So, so they'll, 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 they'll start with a big pumpkin and they'll, they'll start carving it into whatever it is that they want for their story. But then they've got other pumpkins that they'll cut apart and they'll take, take material from those pumpkins to add to this. So there is a certain amount of additive sculpting and, and building going on there as well. Um, mm, what was the question again? <laughs> Where was you I know, going? You know, this, I think this was so far like my, my favorite part of our conversation. This one. The ones where I go off the rails, right? <laughs> you know, just uh, no. I was I was asking about like how like the community how it works and why there is why there is a demand. Even like is it is it sort of like a novelty thing for people who come to the shows, or is it is there actually are there like real fans that are repeat? Oh repeat yeah, visitors and oh, you know geeks. Geeks, yeah. That's the yeah. geeks, the geeks, I, and I and I usually know them. At this point, there are geeks that I know on site. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a visual person. I don't remember names very well, but I will remember almost every conversation that I have with somebody, and I will remember their face forever. 
because mm-hmm. as they're talking to me, I'm probably not listening to what they're what they're saying. I'm looking at their face and I'm going, okay, now how does that work? <laughs> um, so yeah, there are there are definite definite fans of the genre. Um, mm-hmm. I've got followers all over the world, um, mm-hmm. most of whom I think are pumpkin sculptors in their own right they, you know they we all follow each other we're all it's it's like a mutual admiration society and there are people who are not necessarily carvers who just love halloween i think the reason okay uh, one of one of the points of your one of your question was um why does this resonate with people or why why is there an attraction to this and i think mm-hmm. what it really comes down to is that it's a familiar it's a familiar thing done in an unfamiliar way mm-hmm. if i were sitting if i if i set up my carving sculpting materials in my workstation in a public place which is what i do with pumpkins but if i did that and i were carving clay if i were sculpting in clay i would get you know curious looks as people mm-hmm. continue on what they're doing if I'm doing it with a pumpkin, they recognize that it's something that at least I don't, I don't know what it is around the rest of the world, but in, in the United States, Halloween is a big thing and jack-o'-lanterns are familiar Mm -hmm. um, to the point of, it's almost like visual comfort food. Mm -hmm. So if somebody sees me carving a pumpkin, they, they have more than just, Oh, he's sculpting something. Mm -hmm. They have, Oh, He's doing something that I did that I've done many times and I've never done it like that before. So I think that there's a, that the universal nature of, of, of the familiar recognition of seeing something done, but having it done in such an unusual way. And I hope it stays unusual. I hope it doesn't get to the point where this is, this is so commonplace that it becomes unremarkable. Um, I, th- I think that's that's a big reason why why there is an, an affinity for it on a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. Um, the the community again, going back to the community, um, the pumpkin community. <laughs> Love that. Um, going back to that, I think since I started doing it, I've met some of my best friends. Um, many of my best friends are either musicians or pumpkin sculptors. Mm-hmm. And I, as I said before, I don't like being the guy. I want to see what Dima does. I want to see what Sue does. I want to see what my friend Brandy does. And I can't wait for them to succeed at something because I want to be bowled over by it. I want the same experience that my viewers have when they're looking at what I'm doing. And I think that that's mutual with all of us that we all can't wait to see what the rest of us are going to do. The, the community has gotten much, much larger just in the last three or four years than it was when I started. Um, There are carvers out there now who I've never heard of before. There are carvers out there. I'm sure who've never heard of me. Um, but 
it's not the same. This it doesn't have the same sense of family community that the that the the longtime core people have had. There, there now there are people. I don't know anything about them. I don't know what their work is like. I don't is know that, if it's it's going to. It's be like cool. the the next the next generation of pumpkin products. Yeah, and yeah. it's like I'm kind of excited to see it. I'm excited to see what mm -hmm. that generation will present and how it will manifest itself. At the same time, I'm kind of protective because I, I care about the community that I've been in part of for so long. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to be cliquish about it. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to exclude anybody. Anybody's welcome to join. I mean, that's why I encourage people when I hear somebody saying I can't do that. I'm like, okay, come over here. We're going to try it. I want to expand the community, but that the kind of rapid expansion we've had over the last couple of years comes with a certain amount of unknown mm -hmm. that could go either way. Mm -hmm. That sounded ominous, didn't it? It did. It's awesome. Like <laughs> this is getting better and better. You know, like it, it's funny. It's funny when you were saying, uh, like, you know, I could say about myself, or my, I guess it's true that what I do, or I am sort of like a musician's musician, uh, and you are a pumpkin carver's pumpkin carver. <laughs> I just it's so awesome because that's what you were saying. Like the people that are your fans let me enjoy this moment. Marcus <laughs> Reuter. Marcus Reuter just compared me to him. <laughs> I, did I say that? I don't know, but yeah, in, you did. In, a, in a way. <laughs> you were recording this, right? No, but it's, no, it's, on, it's true. It's true that there is uh, when when it comes to the arts or the crafts that there are always people who are sort of uh, I don't want I don't want I don't know what the right word is like pioneers or you know like and it doesn't it doesn't have to be even professional people. Some sometimes it's actually people who are um, you know like are somewhat hidden. Who kind of like do the work that inspires others, right? Yeah, and um, well, and I find know, that, that that old that old trope about um, about who's the best guitar player in the world, and then Rolling Stone magazine comes out with their list of a hundred the the hundred best guitarists of all time, and then the arguments ensue. Oh yeah, no, 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 he would no, no, no. How come so and so isn't on the list? How come so and so is at number fifty-seven when they should be at? But the um. The element of that is that there are unknown guitarists, unknown musicians, unknown sculptors who no one has ever seen their work. Maybe they are working in a bubble. Maybe there's somebody, I'm, maybe hell. Point of fact, there are people who have never left their studio who are doing incredible things that mm -hmm. no one else will ever touch. And we may never see their stuff or hear their stuff. Mm -hmm. yes. Is that kind of what you were saying? Yeah, yeah, and but but then like some some of these uh, people actually do have fans, like you were saying, but the fans are then actually artists themselves. So that and that this is this is what I just find fascinating that there is this. I don't want to say it's a hierarchy because it's not. It's it's not a hierarchy of artists, but it's like it's like as if some people, some artists. Uh, are actually the source of inspiration for a lot of other artists. 
And this is this is sort of maybe, maybe maybe I was exaggerating when I said that you are pumpkin covers pumpkin cover, but that uh, <laughs> sounds good to me. <laughs> no, I, you know what? I, actually, um, all humility aside, uh, mm -hmm. I'll cop to that to a, to a degree. Mm -hmm. There are carvers who are better than I am. There are carvers who are capable of things that I'm not capable of or that I haven't tried yet. Mm -hmm. But whenever I show up where there is like a competition, when I showed up at the Jack Hanna thing um, at the Columbus Zoo, mm -hmm. uh, it happened there. Somebody recognizes me and they go, and that was that was when I was nobody. But, you know, when I was on Halloween Wars, I showed up on the, on at the soundstage um, before, before shooting started and one of the other pumpkin carvers, two of the other pumpkin carvers spotted me across the soundstage and I hear Dean's here. We can all go home now. <laughs> oh, don't do that. Don't do that. And then when I, when I got, I got to outrageous pumpkins, knowing that I'm not competing, mm -hmm. the, the cast and, the, and those were, I it was seven carvers seven individual pumpkin carvers who were competing on that show and they get out of the van in the morning and they're getting the you know they're 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 learn they're looking their way around they're getting they're 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 getting acclimatized they're 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 finding where everything goes and getting getting comfortable with things um they spot me and they go dean's here we can all go home now and i'm like no 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 guys guys i'm not competing <laughs> i it's nice, isn't I'm, it? I'm not entirely comfortable with that, but on the other hand, I do recognize that it exists. So yeah, okay, mm -hmm. to a point. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pumpkin sculptor's pumpkin sculptor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, but I, I all I, all sixty of us. <laughs> you know, I, I do understand though. Like for me, uh, I do not really understand. Um, well, I think it's it's normal that as an artist you don't understand the impact your art has on on people, and I I don't think it really had, has anything to do even with with your level of of craftsmanship. Like sometimes yes, but it doesn't have to, right? You know there is like sometimes there is just a certain something. There's something special about how people sing or play or paint or that sort of touches people and and. Um, for me, I really don't, I don't really understand what that is in my case. I, I, I mean, I, I guess I will have like, I have my version of that, right? Like I, um, obviously I can also listen to the music that I create, you know, I can be, I can be the listener. You can, you can be you the, the music uh, of Carl Orff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or you can, you can, you can actually like, you, you actually have your piece in your hands, right? And you can, you can you can um, you can consume it like not the person that's made it right and and that I think that's that's sort of like fascinating and it's wonderful if that's possible I know that for quite a few isn't that possible for you as a musician it, it is when, it is when it you're is performing possible. or recording you you are listening to it yeah, yeah it's possible for me and so I can, you 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 observe you you experience that music not only from the the perspective of the performer, you hear it at, from the perspective of the audience. I, I, I do, I can, you know, and it's, I can do that. And I, do you have, I, do you have to make a mental shift to do that? Um, 
um, no, I think it's been it's become my the my main mode of operation actually when listening is like to, to zoom out and to uh, I don't I, I can't say that I that I always manage to uh, take the the perspective of an outside listener no no but uh, I managed to zoom out and like dissociate myself from the situation That's the and I was looking for dissociate yeah. yeah. I, so I, I I can do that. I do that most of the time nowadays. But it just comes with practice, you know, with the practice of being on stage. Mm -hmm. That's um, that's something that's I would say very hard to uh, you know it's very hard to get to if you don't if you just practice at home. Let's say right. So right. and this this is maybe also like you must have had this experience as well, like from like working in your studio and then working in public. Which I guess they are you nervous? It's a totally different atmosphere. I are, are you actually is there something like uh, stage fright <laughs> for pumpkin covers? I I've never experienced stage fright. Mm -hmm. I do experience a heightened degree of e experience. Um, I've thought about this a little bit because I I welcome being on stage and I I I, I don't think. Not since I was a little kid. I think I had stage fright when I performed with my mother one time. Um, she was performing folk music someplace. And I usually was along just because where else is she going to put me when I was in grade school? But, you know, I like eight or nine years old or something. She handed me a banjo one day and said, okay, play this. Mm -hmm. It's really easy. Just play this so that I can play this part on the guitar and get the audience singing and in, in a couple of different harmony pieces. And at, at that moment, I, th I think that may have been the only time that I ever experienced true stage fright. I mean, where, you know, oh, no, really? I, f I could feel my whole body kind of like contracting and mm -hmm. recoiling and, and being just as excited about it um, as I was nervous about it. Since then, um, performing as in public, either as a musician, I don't do that very often. I, I have in the past, um, when I was in my teens and in my twenties, I, I performed quite a bit, but being in public, whether it's acting a part, just being the wise guy, being the class clown, being the, you know, being the center of attention for stupid reasons or whatever, carving pumpkins, playing guitar, singing, whatever. I'm comfortable with it, but there is a heightened level of adrenaline. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. It's adrenaline. I, I sometimes it feels like performance anxiety, mm -hmm. yeah. but I don't feel anxious most mm -hmm. of the time, but I'd be lying to say that the, in the moments before going up on stage or being on stage or being the center of attention, that there is a, a moment, there are, there is a period where I feel like. <laughs> so would, would you say you perform better when when people are watching or? Oh yeah, I think I think it I think it 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 fuels me, mm -hmm. um, and I would I would presume that you experience something very much the same when you're performing music that if you are. If you're in your in your studio and practicing and playing and getting it right, recording whatever, that that has one level of energy. But if you've got a room full of people who are really into what you're doing, mm 
that's going to that's going to power you up to another level or mm. if you're performing for people if you got a really tough room and you really have to work for them because they're all having their own conversation they're in their own world over there supper club kind of thing or something like that and you're playing your heart out for them and and you're not reaching them that's going to have another a, a different effect on your performance. It's going to have a different effect on, on your experience in that moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I just spoke for you. You did. <laughs> I could need sock puppets. <laughs> you know, like I, I have to say like, I'm, I'm as a player of my music. And this, like, with the you know emphasis on my music, um, I'm incredibly great at that. I'm, no <laughs> I'm argument. Absolutely effortless. So for me, it I I would say it doesn't really matter so much. Like for me, playing recording on somebody's like recording a solo for somebody, you know, as an example. Mm -hmm. I just I just do one take. I just I just start playing. I just put my I don't even want to I don't even want to know what key it, it's in. I just press play. I start playing, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's fascinating how how it's gotten to be that way. Because obviously it wasn't wasn't that way like even well even ten years ago, mm -hmm. right? But it's uh, on stage is different. Because on, on stage, if first of all I'm I'm performing written music um, versus improvisation, then you know, like you kind of like have to perform things right, and and so I don't know. Like, um, I have a question for you about improvisation. Yeah. When you yeah. when you are improvising in front of an audience, mm -hmm. uh. I can't remember who said who the quote was. I can't, I can't remember the exact quote or who said it, but somebody, I feel like it might have been Chick Korea, mm -hmm. said something about that improvisation is basically pulling out all of the stuff that you've already rehearsed and making it, giving it a sense of, of coherence in the moment of being. I, I, now I'm really bangle, I'm no, 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 no. It's, bungling uh, and mangling the, the quote. But basically, he was saying, was it's stuff you've already rehearsed? At some mm -hmm. point or another, you're just you're just pulling it out of the out of your tool chest and presenting it in this moment in a new way. That and that that kind of makes sense to me because I'm not comfortable improvising. I like to know exactly what I'm going to play when I'm when I'm doing music. So, so who, who, you, whoever whoever said that? Was, yeah. When you are improvising on stage, mm -hmm. do you how how much of a risk are you taking? Do you know where you're well, going at any given moment? Well, well, whoever whoever said that is, you know, you could say is is completely wrong or completely right. Um, but it's like that Michelangelo like, quote, like because it's it's, it's, it's about it's quote. it's about it's about what you what you practice. I agree. I I agree. So that's why I have always tried to avoid to practice patterns that are musical, mm -hmm. right? Because I didn't I didn't want my intuitive playing to be uh biased Formula. i want to, yeah formulaic or even like biased by my physical by the physical movements that i practice mm -hmm. so that's why the physical movements that i was practicing were not based on music not on music but purely on 
like moving my hands on the stage that is the fretboard, mm -hmm. right? So like just playing chromatic dexterity exercises and stuff like that. So when I improvise, um, to answer your question, uh, I, I go for 100% risk, always. And that's cool. It's it's cool. It it requires big uh, cojones. When you, the other half of that is that, that risk taking can lead to moments of brilliance. But if every time you take a risk, you are guaranteed to get brilliance, then the risk is less. the The risk is diminished. In order for the risk to remain a risk, there still has to be the the the, the real possibility of failure. Yeah. Do you do you ever do you ever take a risk and then feel like nah, that one didn't work? I'm not going to try that one again. Well, it's, or, it's, or, or it didn't work. Now I really want to try it again. Uh, well, you you know usually when when on a on a tour I get a chance to try again. Um, but then, you know, like what I try to do is not to get into the, the habit of feeling comfortable with something like when I, I'm just talking about solos here. Right. right so yeah. for example, there was the, um, the peace dinosaur that Crimson project started playing. Well, before it was called Crimson project, we started playing that song in 2011. And so I maybe performed that piece maybe 130 times, uh, with that band. And I tried to, like, that was the solo where I, I did not want to ever practice anything that, like, Robert had played on the piece. Right. I knew what he had played, so, but I never wanted to practice it. So, like, sometimes my hands fell into a place where those notes that he played became available. And then I played something in the vein of what Robert did. Right. But then sometimes I was just, like, in a completely different place. I was not referencing the, uh, the chords or the, even the, the root notes of the, you know, what the bass was playing. I was just free and, and I know that I would, I don't know, I don't have a percentage, but most of the times I, I would say it was not successful for, for if you, if you kind of like, and I don't know because I haven't listened to these and there are not that many recordings. Right. Um, but well, in your sense of what was successful might not, line up with what the audience is yeah exactly exactly the audience and, might may, may have absolutely been enthralled by what you did and that's 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 the whole reason why i'm saying this is sort of like the uh what i just like said like you have to have like the the balls to do that right i i think that is kind of kind of like my service or, or the the little bit of service that i can bring towards music mm -hmm. right where i can i can i can take the risk i can be the person who just Kind of like acts as as like you were saying in a way the class clown, mm -hmm. you know it's like the jester uh, role in in music. Yeah, not not that not that guy. More That's more me. the <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but I'm, I'm I'm talking about that 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 freedom. You know that. Um, Hello, ladies and germs. Here here on the stage for the first time, the comedy stylings of Marcus Roy Ruder. <laughs> Ruder, exactly. <laughs> That's why I was. That's why I was. That's why I was asking you about improv um, carving pumpkins, you know, because I think it would be awesome. I think you would be really, really awesome. You could, you could, you could be an absolutely standout, like you already are. But right. you are doing stuff that that people they can compare. 
I wouldn't. I wouldn't. One, it yeah. wasn't. Uh, it was. It was not abstract or or impressionist, but it was something that was unplanned. Mm -hmm. um, I was in Phoenix mm -hmm. uh, carving, and it was. It was one of these. It was like a like a pop up thing. We were we were working on a uh, on a sidewalk for a, a public public event. I don't know what they call it in Phoenix. First Fridays or like a gallery hop or something like that. But um, at one small workstation with one light, we had some some display things around us. But my friend Dimitri and I, um, my, one of the Russians that I mentioned earlier, Dima, I was carving a pumpkin. And I didn't really have any idea how I wanted it to. I just started in and just started sketching and everything. And then Dima's looking over my shoulder and he's bored. He's not mm -hmm. carving anything. He's looking over my shoulder. He starts criticizing me. He's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Dude, dude. Uh, be careful of your anatomy. Yeah, dude, dude, dude. What are you doing there? And, I, and so I, I, I got annoyed with him and I handed him, my, I handed him my tool. And I said, you can do a better job, fix it. So we, what we wound up doing, it was a good natured thing, but what we wound up doing was he would work for 20 minutes and then I'd grab the tool back from him and I'd work for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. and I would cut through things that he was doing and I would add things that I wanted to do. And then he would take the tool back from me 20 minutes. He'd work for half an hour and he would be correcting all of the things that he didn't like about what I was doing. When we finished, we had a pretty garish looking face it's like a monster face of some kind or other i could probably dig it out for you if you're interested mm -hmm. yeah but um it wasn't planned nor could it have been planned because as each one of us took the the took control of this of the pumpkin and started to to do new things to it it wasn't where we had left it so i couldn't just pick up where i had left off Okay, Dima's done with his turn. Now I'm just going to resume what I was doing because now the whole nature of the thing has changed. He's changed everything about it in the last 20 minutes or half an hour. So this is what I have to work with now. And there was there was a certain there was a certain improvisation that went to that. I think I can find that one, but yeah, it it's, so it's don't like uh, no, no, I'm not I'm not waiting. It's like the you know there's. Uh, in the 90s, there were these chain chain tape communities where you would, you know, just send tapes around and everybody would add something. And uh, oh yeah, yeah, you know, like yeah, so you know, like like but, like pass the buck mixtapes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, so you wanted you wanted to tell me something about what was it like the the basic structures and then the details? You wanted to explain something about uh, that? Yeah, I think. Um, that's, that's, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm personally passionate about that isn't a joke. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that there is a, a truism that most of the world accepts as, as pure fact that I have issues with the idea that the, the, the details are the important part that if you have an attention to details, that mm -hmm. that's going to make you a better artist, a better musician, a better sculptor, a better painter, whatever. Um, and I have found the opposite to be true. The, the mm -hmm. large forms mm -hmm. sculpting its forms, 
um, that the details are if 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 you go to the details at the expense of the large forms, the details are going to be useless. The details need the large forms in order for the details to succeed and 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 be the finishing touch. But the details are the finishing the finishing touch. And in impressionism, in particular, there are very few details, or the details are not the little tiny pieces that were painted in or sculpted in. The details might be something about the nuance of the expression, as opposed to like a really ridiculous expression, like ah. Um. Hang on a second. Are you in a meeting? Um, hang on a second, Marcus. Yeah. Okay, we're back. <laughs> you can edit that in post, right? No, no, I won't. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, I just want to make sure there wasn't an emergency downstairs or something. Yeah. Um, You know, I've completely the large uh, forms need to be there for the details to have something to hang yeah, on. And yeah. a, a one kind of crude metaphor would be um, if you're doing a, a if if you're sculpting something uh, like a like a sexy person, a sexy mm -hmm. figure. Mm -hmm. If you go straight for the negligee and you sculpt the negligee if the form underneath it isn't there supporting it, the negligee is just a rag. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's not recognizable as anything. That's, that's one crude way of putting it. Um, but in impressionism, like Monet, if you look at Monet paintings, you can see the world that's in there. There's depth, there's light, there's, sha there's shadow, there is, there's atmosphere to it. Even though the, the, the brush strokes are all huge, and there's nothing in, in tight focus, but the world exists. And I think that too many of us are so determined to go straight to the, to the details. Like when I teach classes, in my advanced classes in particular, beginners to a, to a certain point, but advanced classes, when a sculptor, I'm gonna struggle with this for a second, when a sculptor has experience, they've developed those formulas that you were talking about avoiding when you're, when you're improvising. Mm -hmm. And when, once you've got those formulas, they become second nature and you go to them immediately. This is the way the face looks. Mm -hmm. But if you can resist going right for the crow's feet or the teeth or the fangs or the scar or whatever it is that you want to do with the details. If you can resist that in favor of the large forms of the expression, the expression is, doesn't, doesn't live. Like if I, if I give you a face, like a quizzical face, mm -hmm. the expression doesn't live in the crow's feet or in the teeth. The expression lives in the slightly raised eyebrow over here. And if you go crazy up here, then it, then it becomes extreme. If, mm -hmm. you, if, you, if you stay with the nuance of those expressions, you can see what the large forms are doing. Yes. So when I'm teaching um, sculpting classes in particular, I have found that the advanced classes 
are more challenging because of that. I have to, to teach people to overcome their preconceptions and the formulas that they've, they've established for themselves, which are probably perfectly successful formulas. But what I want to teach them is how to see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I want them to see the shapes and the forms and the angles. And it's, I don't want them to look at this as a nose. I want them to look at this as if this is a three-sided pyramid, there's the apex, there's one triangle, there's mm-hmm. the other triangle, and down here there's another there's a third triangle. If if you can look at that form, mm-hmm. then the rest of that you can dial into the the little bits in the nostrils and the this and that and the other and the musculature and where the cartilage goes and all the anatomical aspects of it. But if you can break it down to just this mm-hmm. form, this form, and this form, and together they I think it's far more valuable to learn how to see things for for the shapes that they are, not for what you have preconceived that those shapes to form. And then the same yeah. thing goes with music. If you can avoid your preconception of this is the way that this is the shape of that scale. Mm-hmm. This is the shape of that guitar chord. This is the shape of that piano that piano chord or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I I'm not a I'm not a particularly experienced composer i have written some things and i found that it was much easier for me to to write my own material my own musical material in my head by hearing it first before i pick up a guitar where my hands are going to go by muscle memory my hands are going to go to the shapes that i'm familiar with Mm -hmm. if i hear it first then I go to an unfamiliar instrument like a piano, like with a keyboard, and I find where the melody goes and where the harmonies are going to go. Is it going to be counterpoint? Is it going to be parallel? Whatever. And then I get to the guitar. By that point, now I've established the large forms. Yes. And then I can get to the familiar area of the guitar, and then I can dial in some tight focus details. <laughs> so there's a lot of crossover in my, in my brain, in my world. There's a lot of crossover between music and, and visual art. Yeah, and what you just described is I would totally subscribe to that um, in both musical composition, but also in uh, in performing music. Like you know, the example that came up for me was like you know, like somebody could have the greatest vibrato, right? A guitarist could have the greatest vibrato, but if you don't play nice notes, like you know, you may have that detail in the tone, but you also need to play the right notes, and right. that's. And that's that. That has always been fascinating to me. That, like with um, certain musics, these ratios are different. Like some some music requires a, a specific way how to play something, mm-hmm. and there's other music where it's more important that you play the right notes. So where it's not so much about how you play it, but what you play. Right. And uh, and yeah, I, I agree with the. the the form thing. And when you when you described like the the pyramid here, that that even worked for me. Thanks. Well, I <laughs> I looked it up. Mm-hmm. What was it? Uh, aphantasia. Mm-hmm. Is that is that the condition that you described? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that I have hyperphantasia. Um, and I think I that those two things can communicate those two conditions can communicate with each other um for anybody who's who's going what 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 and 
So you don't, so nobody has to jump to the, the University of Google here. Aphantasia is the inability to form mental images. Hyperphantasia is the inability to not form mental images. Of things. I see, I see faces everywhere I look. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that what I was describing when I'm, when I'm teaching experienced sculptors, um, and I'm trying to get them to set aside their preconceptions and their, and their, their formulas. And okay, don't think of it as a nose. Don't think it, uh, think of it as a, as a, as a line of teeth. Don't think of it as an eye. Think of it as, as these basic shapes. I think that my form of hyperphantasia can communicate to your form of aphantasia through the, the, the fact that you have an advantage mm -hmm. that somebody with hyperphantasia doesn't have. You have no preconceptions as to how, that, how those forms will come together to, to create a face mm -hmm. or, the, or whatever representational thing it is. I think faces are, are easy just because they're so universal. We've all got one. Um, but I find that it's it's more challenging to get somebody with preconceptions to set aside those preconceptions in favor of seeing things for what it is rather than what they think it is. And I think that your form of aphantasia kind of reminds me to dial it back, to stop being so hyper mm -hmm. and to go for the basics. Mm -hmm. I, I think the two things work together with each other. Yeah, I, I think I think you'd surprise yourself if you tried to 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 do a simple face. Yes, yes. I, basically, you just also uh, described why when I'm when I was talking about doing something abstract with the pumpkin, mm -hmm. uh, you kind of like came back came back to the face, right? Like in your, yeah. <laughs> so it makes it makes total sense. It's good. Hey, so um, I it's my comfort zone. And 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 when you talk about it, just occurs to me when you talk about doing something abstract in a pumpkin, you're trying to pull me into your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. that's how communication yeah. works. You know, you're trying yes. to explain to me where yes. you're coming from. Yeah. I'm trying to explain where I'm coming from. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, Dean, I want want to ask you one one last thing. So earlier in the conversation, you said something, uh, something like Marcus knowing, like knowing a little bit how your brain works. You said that to me. Do you remember you saying know, that? I remember saying it. And I remember immediately regretting it. Okay, so I have no idea how anybody else. Is so brain so so how does That's my brain work? Arrogant of me to say something like that. Uh, so how, how does my brain work? Um, with a nine volt battery. <laughs> um no i think i think i think i just, right, what did you my, mean what did you guess, mean my guess i think what i was talking about was that you're metic meticulous and methodical mm -hmm. um and i could be entirely wrong about that you could just you you know you but the way you present is you are analytical mm -hmm. um that's not to say that i'm not but I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm, I'm a shotgun blast of I can't keep my mind on any one thing at any given time. And, and I, 
I feel from you that that you can hyper focus on things in a way that I envy. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I I would be I would be very surprised for you to deny that you're hyper focused. I mean, when when you do your morning your morning dance routine, your morning um, motion routine, that's not the practice of somebody who is winging it. Mm -hmm. So, am I close? How do you think my brain works? Um, I have no idea. Neither do I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's um, that's you know that that is something for part two. <laughs> I, I obviously oh, I do, really have, I do have I do have I do have an idea. No, I, I'm not saying that I do want to do this again, but we may do this again. Um, no, as a matter of fact, I actually, I obviously, I do have ideas about how people, people's minds work sometimes. And I think it's normal. It's like what, what, uh, it's part of the uh, human toolbox. Like we look for patterns. You look for patterns, and like what you were saying, like like the the uh, faces you were making, right? So there's like there's like a pattern pattern of expressions that we learn to read and that have meaning and that that uh, convey a certain emotion let's say and and i think that there is um like i said you know like we have this toolbox we 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 have these um, um actions and reactions built into our psyche that's kind of like uh, that we, like even with, with my daughter like she's 20 months old right mm -hmm. like it's amazing like the the kind of like faces she makes in order to you know like she has this, this thing where she makes one ear very small and the other one very big and like mm -hmm. it's it's amazing to see like like and you you know i, I keep asking myself the, where does that come from but uh i think that there is the, but there's a layer beyond the surface of the human body right there's there's a, there's there's more to it than just the surface and right. like you being like being like the specialist and in, in like recreating that surface information um that's what i why, why why i wanted to talk with you actually because i think it's 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 amazing it's like the, it's the level that i'm the, uh, least interested in like for me it's for me it's like behind that smile like you know what 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 really is behind that face right and and for you i think maybe it may actually be the the same right but you you actually have this way of 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 creating these surface level expressions mm -hmm. which which is which is amazing to me so well that's that's something that that has come up again and again when i when i talk about this um that Early on, I realized that the, the insane expressions, the, the really wacky expressions, are kind of cop-outs. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's fun to do a monster. It's fun to do a really wild expression. But uh, the, the more nuanced, subtle expressions 
are the more compelling to a, to a viewer. They're certainly more compelling to me. I mean, as much as I'll, I'll make wild faces, uh, uh, Tony was making funny, uh, making fun of me about that at one point, you know, Oh, there's Dean. He's going to make a face. You know, I'm going to cover him up. <laughs> um, as, as tempting as those faces are to sculpt and, and to do the ones that the expressions that, that are more compelling are the ones that leave more room for interpretation. If I have a wild Mel Brooks face, like, ah, or something like that, I can't even do it without making the, without making the, the roaring noise. If I, if I make a wild face like that, it doesn't leave a whole lot of room. Okay. There's a crazy guy um, or there's a clown or whatever. But if I have a face that looks pensive, You know, it's it's or it's surprise like, or something like that. Th th there's more room for the viewer to superimpose their own experience on that because the the human brain is looking for the pattern. What's he thinking? He or she, um, mm -hmm. and the more that they can, the the more possibilities that they have. Okay. Well, I think he's thinking that he's surprised. Well, maybe he's not surprised. Maybe, maybe he was startled. Maybe mm -hmm. it wasn't so much startle as it was. It's that moment just before fear. People can really dial in whether they're conscious of it or not. Their brain is looking for that, for, for that explanation as to why that face looks that yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, um, a good, well, well, um, Maybe I don't need to be judgmental about it, but that just the difference between actors, like good, well, good and bad actors, let's say. Like some actors, they can give you that face, but some people can give you the, the straight face that still has that, you know, where it's like, where it's more, more, uh, more resolution on a smaller, on a smaller surface, like, um, and yeah, I'm 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 fascinated. Like you said, like Bernini is one of your favorites. So uh, I want to see more Bernini pumpkins in the future. I've got some for you. <laughs> I, I got I have some. I didn't do all of them. Well, my my friend Nikolai, um, my friend Nikolai did one one year, and I, I it was the first it was the first classical sculpted face I saw in a pumpkin where I went. Oh, wow. That's awesome. He did the ecstasy of St. Teresa, mm -hmm. the one where she looks like she's almost having an orgasm and it was on a pumpkin. And I, and I said, Nikolai, that's exquisite. He looks at it. He goes, this, oh, I do this because I think he's funny. I thought it would be funny to have a pumpkin having an orgasm. I was like, no, 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 don't ruin it for me. I just want to experience the exquisite nature of your pumpkin. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, he did a Bernini. And that's, I think that's why I personally like Bernini as a sculptor is because Bernini's expressions and Bernini's level of subtlety, not just in the facial expressions, but um, um, where, where, where I, one hand is, is, is brushed up against the hip of a, of a body or, or, or grasping a leg or something like that. And it's not, it's not a, um, an extreme expression or an extreme grasp, but it'll just have a certain subtleness to it about the way it, the way the fingers touch 
the, the other parts of the skin. And instead of having like this, mm -hmm. like Bernini will have something where there's just a little bit of, just a little bit of give. And, and that is more appealing to me than the extreme stuff. Yes. Yes. I mean, I love Da Vinci and I love Michelangelo and I love all of those guys um, as Renaissance sculptors, but Bernini is the one who it's because of the subtlety and the subtlety makes it more, more, more compelling to me. Yes. Okay, dude. Two hours of pumpkin talk. <laughs> You're going to have to edit this down. <laughs> hey, thank that you was, so much. That would, that would involve some effort. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no effort. No effort. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. No, thank you so much. I, it was it was really fascinating. I learned a lot, and um, um, I really did. And um, yeah, maybe at some point, like if I keep doing these, like we could talk again at some point. I don't know. I have no no real plans for this format, so we'll see. Well, it's too bad we'll be so busy when uh, when we get to to camp because yeah. it would be it would be cool to actually do something where we're in the same room together and I teach you. Let's do a simple <laughs> thing. Let's see. Let's see what's going to happen. But I don't think we're going to have time for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, my friend. Take care. Yeah. Bye bye. My bye. best to the baby. Yes.